0: Hey everybody, Chris here. Um, just a quick note on today's episode. It's a little bit different. Um, this episode was recorded in Columbia, Maryland this past April during the final day of our Performance Climbing Coach Seminar. And this is a, a Q&A involving all of the great coaches and climbers who attended, talking to the coaches who were teaching the seminar, including uh, Steve Bechtel and Charlie Manganello from Strong, Dr. Tyler Nelson from Camp 4 Human Performance, Neely Quinn from Training Beta, and Kelly Drager, who is a sport dietician with the Canadian Climbing and Olympic programs, as well as myself. Our uh, next Performance Climbing Coach Seminar is happening October 10th through the 12th at the Minnesota Bouldering Project in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And these have sold out in the past. Um, but I've got a $100 off code for you. It's Chris100. That's capital all caps K R I S 100. The numbers one zero zero, and um, you will find a link to register for that event right there on the show notes in your pocket supercomputer. So let's get on with it.
3: have many questions. Uh, first off, um, just open for anybody, uh, my name is Dawes Strickler, I'm from United States Military Academy. Uh, training for speed climbing, uh, where would you place this in a phase, drills, strategies?
4: That's it. Um, I'll answer that, Steve Bechtel. I think, I think speed climbing has a greater place in, in high performance climbing than, than the current crop of competition climbers want to believe The the young climbers and you guys deal with these youth athletes, um, have almost no objection to speed and they're, they're actually quite interested in it. We've been dealing with the youth national teams, um, this last year, and they, it's very, very easy for them to integrate in with their training. Um, speed training is interesting because it, it enhances their coordination, their ability to make decisions quickly, um, moving moving quickly between the holds of course, right? But I think that that's like a low intensity version of power training that that those that those athletes can put to use in in bouldering and onsighting, um, and it's just another facet of the same thing. Uh, I understand it's a different version of our sport, um, and and it's something that I'm I'm not good at it and i'm not really interested in becoming better at but it doesn't make it any less entertaining to watch and that's really what competition <coughs> is about so as far as integrating it in i would say put it near a power phase um and then i would take the the uh take the time to let them do lots and lots of repeats of those things you know just practice those things they're for most competition climbers they're appropriate as, as a skill drill at the end of a warm-up. Um, and then you can just feather away the uh, amount of time those athletes are putting into it if you're focusing more on boulder or, or on lead. Um, there's a really there, you know there's several good um, uh, speed resources, but there's a Canadian guy named Patrick Labelle, and he is, he's a really great coach and he also, um, has good information, and I think he's. If you if you reached out to him, he would be able to give you some specifics on what he does with the the Canadian kids. Um, but like I said, it's it's got its place, and it's not really. It doesn't really take that much time away from a normal training schedule um, to to put some speed climbing in to a level that you can become at least competitive. But um, but again, we have some resistance to that with the the older athletes at this point.
0: Yeah, and just to build on what. Steve said, as far as practicing the skill of it, um, a lot of gyms only have the two halves. They don't have a full speed setup. Um, So I really like to have some of my athletes who do it, who have that specific setup or who have a full setup, do just parts of it. And do it at different speeds. So I, I I might be looking for a half speed and then a full speed. And I think by slowing them down, a lot of research has shown that by slowing things down to a purposeful speed, then retention is is a little bit better, and they're able to coordinate things better. So, and I wouldn't I wouldn't slow it down to sloth style like we worked on, but but I would have them purposely try to hit a half speed mark, something like that.
1: Yeah, this kind of piggybacks off of what Dawes was saying, but in terms of the Olympic format, have you guys put any thought into prioritizing one thing over the other in the different respects and how they can have crossover to help each other for coaches that are looking to help people that have that goal of the Olympics? Well,
4: I guess Chris, you want to answer or you I was going oh, to prompt Tyler. He yep, looked like Tyler.
0: he wanted to talk about I think we'll probably really
5: default to what Steve generally emphasizes as strength is always the priority. And you'll notice that the athletes that are the highest boulders, they already probably have the highest peak power. So all the things that we're doing, we really, as long as your athlete is going through those phases, and we're going through an adequate adequate strength phase, all we need to do is in- include some ballistics and include lower extremity stuff. And those athletes, all they need to do is learn the actual route and the skill of speed climbing and start memorizing it. And they're really suited already for speed climbing. And energy systems are already developed. It's just kind of like a whole different skill that they need to learn the speed climbing. But I think the stuff that we do already really helps um, the athletes emphasize the speed climbing. We just got to get really uh, much better at that speed uh, training both for the upper and lower extremities, especially the lower extremity, We don't do that much.
4: And, and yeah, just to, to go a little more into what Patrick uh, has been doing, there's a lot of single leg hops, a lot of hops upstairs, um, you know, leg speed stuff. It, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's simply taking what these people can already do and then increasing the speed at which they can do it. And I, and I think that that bleeds really, really well into other forms of climbing. It's not, it's not taking away at all from your endurance and it's not taking away at all from your ability to generate power on a, on a hard boulder problem.
0: Yeah. And I think we've seen over and over again that the athletes who are the better boulders, the strong boulders are able to cross over a little bit easier. You know, once an athlete has the skills to be able to lead climb, building the endurance is pretty easy. So I think bouldering is the the focus, bouldering and strength are the focus most of the time.
6: Yeah, and and one thing that uh, can be neglected in the weight room when we're doing our our strength sessions is the unilateral strength. Um, And so we see a lot of heavy squats heavy deadlifts, heavy bench press, but um, very rarely are you on the same exact um, height foothold with both legs and jumping for a hold. It's it's a lot of one-legged stuff, so these one-legged squats, these one-legged uh, movements, uh, rack step-ups with weight, lunges, um, cross over tremendously into the climbing, and we can get them to do that and get strong without having to worry about fingers and skin and, and all those other conditions that we worry about with climbing.
7: Hey, my name is Villegas. I uh, have a problem. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, when you were talking about the unilateral exercises, uh, were you you're, are you talking about lower body stuff generally, or are you talking about like Both. doing like maybe like a uh, a dumbbell snatch, like you know. Like switching the yep. arms off.
6: Yeah, I think yeah, uh, that's a really good question. So uh, what Viet is saying is uh, unilateral strength, right? We're talking about one limb, um, and so when we're using when we're doing bilateral movements, we can compensate on our stronger side, and so we've got like one legged explosive stuff or, or one legged strength, but uh, one leg uh, one arm like kettlebell snatches, right? Like when you go to do a dyno. You're going up with one hand, so you know, putting a kettlebell through your through your legs, hip hinging, and coming up overhead, and so uh, that stuff is super transferable um, on over to this type of training. Um, And I think Steve has a has a uh, thing. Uh, So yeah, Tyler's going to talk on over that. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah
5: like in general there's a really common concept in physiology called the strength deficit the bilateral strength deficit so training unilaterally is really helpful like I meant to include some of the photos in the manual but all of the exercises the isometric stuff that we included, you can also do those unilaterally. So when we're doing like a one-legged, a rear foot elevated split squat, you can do that same thing with an isometric. And it's all about training those joint angles. And especially for speed climbing, they don't really get very much into the high joint angles. They stay pretty pretty large with the joint angles, but they're really, really explosive at those joint, joint angles. So doing hops is something that track and field athletes have been doing forever. Just like we watched with those Kenyan jumpers, right? Those guys, are really really explosive, and their techniques of training—they're really just emphasizing the elastic energy in the lower extremity. So doing unilateral hops is incredibly helpful. Doing unilateral pulls, all that stuff—we can really transfer into the actual technical skill of sport climbing. And as long as we're training power output, you know, we're emphasizing that ATP system, the ATP PC system, you know. So we're really going to produce that power at an efficient rate.
8: Uh,
2: with an eye towards, uh, this is Brendan Killian. With an eye towards the upcoming uh, Olympics, as far as the U.S. climbing culture and programming, what are we not doing that other countries are doing?
0: Mm. <laughs> Winning, Kelly.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Let me ask the Canadian.
8: <laughs>
0: I think this is yours, Kelly. Uh, well. Don't give up any secrets.
8: Oh, um, yeah, I think when you're looking at the systems, I kind of gave you a bit of a glimpse of what we do for our um, whole package at the elite level. Um, really looking at a feeder system, I'm not sure that's um, occurring here or it's you know occurring to the extent that it could. Looking at the developmental level of your athletes and how that's um, – functioning for the high level. There's a lot of profile athletes in the US that are profiled individually and and almost professional climbers. And how does that fit into your national program of of developing a team concept that can um, motivate younger climbers to develop the same way or develop that that approach. So, you know, having a systematic approach from develop developing those athletes throughout the year to reach the level for the Olympics. Um, you know, we really do look at those high profile athletes, but what is that, where are they in the scheme of things from a developmental level? A lot of, a lot of climbers, pro climbers are self taught, self coached, self supported. And throughout the programming um, from a nation, that support can be directed for programming, for sports science specialists, for training specialists to help collectively your programs. It's kind of how I, looking at all the instagrams and all those kind of things. Yeah, but. and I th- I
0: think what Kelly's saying is really really important and when I was at the world cup in Vail last year, the Japanese team had a massive support team around them. And and no other athletes did really. Uh, individual athletes might have a, a person or two, but there wasn't a a big team support and you know Japan was in the in 9 of the top 10 places at the end of qualifiers. So I think that that whole system that they've built of having a team, funneling people in, supporting their athletes, I think is important.
6: I was just going to say I was able to go to a, a conference up in Banff and, and Kelly was there and a lot of the uh, Canadian teams came from all these different provinces. And, and they're, I, I don't think we're missing anything. I just don't think we're collaborating. Um, and so a lot of teams are doing their, their stuff kind of on their own. Um, and, you know, people from Alberta and Saskatchewan and Ontario and Vancouver all coming to one spot to kind of see how seasons went, what went well, what didn't, and, and working together as a, a nation for, for the Olympics, right? Like, you know, the, the U.S. team, um, not just the the person on the team. Um, and so I, th- and I thought that I'm, I, maybe that's going on. It doesn't seem like it is maybe here in the United States, but um, where that could, could be missed.
1: Chris, can I just speak to that? Yeah. Recently this summer I went to the Coaches Accelerate program that the Olympics held for a select few coaches that were regional champions in the country. So this is one of the things that I would really like to see more of is the teams in the region organizing together because that's kind of the first step of all of this to build a stronger country for the athletes (laughs) that are moving into it is separate coaches not trying to build their... Separate teams and isolation of all the other coaches, but the coaches working together Um, There's actually a coach that I'm working with at climb Nashville for this regional championship For our region that we're gonna have a big coaches dinner the night before and we're all gonna like hang out and share ideas Um, There's a coach in the Northwest drew white at I'm probably gonna butcher the name of this team. It's Montmouth Athletic Club Um, but he gave me this idea and He was like we always just have dinner and hang out and i think that's one of the first steps to building these kinds of relationships go regionally then divisionals and then we'll have a stronger overall u.s team
0: yeah and in the conversations i've had with connie leitner who i know you're friends with as well um, she was always looking for ways to get kai involved with more coaching, more route setting, you know, integrating into other teams and working with them um, simply for that sake, for the idea of kind of unifying everything and, and everyone getting to know each other. So I think it's, I think it's really important. I just wanted to add one little thing when we were in Norway and climbing alongside Adam Andra this last summer, he travels with his physiotherapist who also, Um, doubles sort of as his movement coach and even on an individual level I think that I've never seen an American climber traveling with a physio and every time he'd fall off his project his physio was there to help him or fix him when he got broken so I think that it's a mindset thing too and where we allocate our sponsorship money not we but the pros yep for sure anybody else where are we at here Oh, right behind mm-hmm. me
2: Olympics or something else. Okay. So first, uh, what would uh, an, an uh, integrated resistance training look like during a power endurance phase? Or Steve, would you do one at all? or uh?
4: it, 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 Like an integrated program in a power yeah. phase? Yeah. We yeah. Talk about power
2: and strength, but we, we didn't talk about power oh, endurance. endurance.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, first I would say the power endurance phase will be relatively short. Um, but I would, I would say that about half of your time, half of your, your climbing time would be dedicated to enhancing or training your power endurance. And then I would also have a phase that, that we're still maintaining strength and power uh, or a a, a session or two per week. And so if we had, yeah, so if we did session of, um, integrated strength, yeah. Then a power endurance, session of integrated power or, or uh, you know, bouldering uh, style session, and then back to the power endurance. And so in a sequence of four workouts, it'd be like strength, um, energy system work, power, energy system work. Um, and, uh, and the strength, like I said, we can, we can meld strength and power very effectively into the same session. Yeah. The recovery from those is very similar. Um, and so you could have, you know, box jumps and squats in the same session. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then within the, the power endurance, you know, I, I, I used to be interested in doing high repetition um, total body things. I don't think that's wrong to do like uh, kettlebell conditioning circuits things like that but I don't think it's the most appropriate because most of the failure um, endurance wise is very local muscular in the mm-hmm. forearm we don't have a lot of <laughs> systemic endurance failure in, okay. in climbing um, very rarely like Charlie was saying do your legs give out yeah. you know because of how um, how pumped you are and but so so I would, I would keep those power endurance or strength endurance sessions to fairly sport specific modes okay. I- aiming at aiming at uh, forearm system you know for our local muscular endurance there
3: and to go back for,
2: of my first first uh, question, what uh, are your thoughts about uh, two sessions a day? What would oh, you manage that?
4: Yeah. Uh, so how two sessions a day yeah. is, are, is not about doing more. It's about splitting up the workload, right? And okay. so it's not like, how can I fit more in? It's how can I do what I'm doing now, but still do it fresh, right? And so a lot of people get it, get it wrong and they're like, I'm going to add more stuff to this. going to do a little bit more stuff. What you really need to do is take your one session a day and you're like, you know what? I'm just not fitting this all in into one 90 minute session. And so now I'm going to do a 60-minute session a.m., 60-minute session p.m., and then start to grow both of those things. But the less intense stuff should be on the end of the day. Um, Your skill work should be at the beginning of the first workout. Okay. Um, and, and then we, we, we work through our energy systems or in a, really the way we should work through it is our skills. The high skill, um, high coordination stuff needs to be early on. At the end of the day, you can do things that you've got really well dialed. Um, resistance training at the end of the day is not wrong. Hangboarding at the end of the session is not wrong. Even though we you, know, you read a book and you're like, oh, we should strength train early in the workout. Um, there's, there's very little coordination going on in hangboarding. And there's very little chance that you're gonna somehow magically overdo it hangboarding okay. um, because you're tired from bouldering. So for example, if I'm doing
2: a day of strength training, so I'm gonna do the <coughs> strength on the limit bouldering in the morning. And after that, I can do a resistance training or integrated strength at the end of the day. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and, and I have I, I might've mentioned in a conversation with you earlier, I have an athlete that's climbing at a very high level, but still wanting to keep strength and power. And so he will go climbing for the day and then drive down from the crag. Everyone else goes to the bar. He goes to the gym okay. and does hangboard heavy resistance training nice. right after a hard climbing day so that he can optimize recovery for the next climbing day. Okay. He climbs two days one week, three days the next week, and follows those sessions right away. So he's really only training on Monday, and he takes two days off, Trains on Thursday, takes two days off. Trains on Sunday, and then so he's like basically one day on, two days off. But he has a double session each of those days um, to optimize recovery. And and the real answer um, is, or the the real question for that athlete is, is is it necessary? And am I recovering? If I'm getting better, I'm doing a good job. If I'm not, two workouts a day might be wasting your time. Yeah, might might want to talk to your kids instead or something.
3: So.
0: Anybody else out here?
1: Uh, I guess just just, just for the group, Uh, this is Stu Wong. Um, Where do you see climbing coaching as a profession going in terms of uh, gathering a background of either nutritional, physical, medical certification or education prior to having to function with Either youth or adults. Um, Do you? How do you see it interacting with personal training certifications or other things?
5: You got something, Chris? Oh. So if I understood the question, just what kind of background do you think we should have as the standard for climbing coaches, more or less?
0: And and where is it going in the future? Yeah, yeah,
5: that's kind of why we got excited about starting this conference, because you guys have such good potential to help so many potentially really good athletes, and just athletes that want better lifestyles and be really good at exercise, that parents are into rock climbing. So there's a real influence that you have, but up until now, it's the only qualification that you need to have is you need to be a climber and you need to know a climbing gym and then you become a coach, right? And so even our... Uh, in Salt Lake, our climbing coaches are great coaches, but they don't have a background in exercise science. So the whole goal with this uh, seminar is to educate people so we can create some sort of baseline for climbing coaches around the country. And the question about the Olympics is collectively, this is just going to make the standard up higher. It's going to bring everyone collectively uh, up to a new level of understanding and for us to push climbing and for us to challenge what we do right now. Because what we do right now for training has worked up till now, but we have to keep pushing it right we have to keep progressing and challenging those norms so uh, in my opinion i i, I mean I, I guess i went to a lot of school but i think the education is really helpful i think physical uh training is really helpful i think doing a certification and creating uh, that baseline for climbing coaches should happen within the next five years there's no way in a normal like exercise gym that you'd be able to go in and take a client and run them through a series of exercises without that certification that's kind of the standard in everywhere else you know high school coaches generally have some sort of of background to take on an athletic team in a high school setting, so I, th- I think that's where we're going to go.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to get more and more delineated as it as it goes on. There, there's always going to be grassroots coaches who are just helping their friends out or whatever. Um, but up until just the last couple of years, there's really only been. know uh, random adult coaches and youth coaches that was it there there really wasn't much of anything so it's grown quite a bit in the last few years and I think it's just gonna continue and get more delineated and you'll see you'll see a certification pop up before long I imagine
8: I I might just comment from um, our perspective in Canada, we do require the coaches to have certain certification across the sports. And I don't know if there's something similar here, um, in Canada, it's called the um, NCCP and, uh, there's level one to five and a national coach going to the Olympics has to be at a five for a lot of the sports and even allowed to have accreditation to get into the Olympic, um, venue or even coach at that level. So I'm not sure if other sports in uh, the U S have those. I- I'm actually, Pretty positive they, they do. And and that might be something to model climbing off of, of you know, what's the baseline coaching requirements um, that have youth, right? So everybody has a certain standard. And right now we are developing it specifically for climbing. So again, it's something for a collective and collaboration within the coaches to look at how you want climbing coaching to progress in your country and elevate everybody's level um, higher and the standards within the gyms and who you know, who's coaching who, and ensuring that the developmental ages get what they need from health and performance, and then how does that work um, at the highest level. So that's, we do have those levels, and I don't know if there's any other coaching um, kind of global programs that are offered in in US, or if there's like uh, the modules that look at the coaching piece.
0: How are your climbing coaches being trained?
8: So we have um, Alpine Club of Canada, Canada, so it would be similar to in the states, the comparable with yours, and then um, um, ACMG for outdoors. So there's certain levels of of coaching for climbing, and then the modules are Sport Canada derived. So those are uh, um, a nationwide programming. And so with all the other sports that I work with, like wrestling, Nordic, all those the different sports, the coaches go through those modules. And at the institutes, we have a coaching program director who organizes certain modules that are effective. So learning about the female athlete triad, so if a coach doesn't know about that, um, we might put on a... Um, a nationwide webinar or they'll fly us in to do a, a session for those coaches. so it's creating some type of curriculum almost for your coaches and maybe being a curriculum that's specific for climbing that you guys want to see as a collective to bring up the the caliber of your coaches across the country there's a lot of talent in this room I think like just thinking about who, who you know everybody in this room and spending the the weekend with you guys that there's so many great ideas and so much um knowledge from different areas, and you've got some amazing people up here. Um, but the coaching element, you guys are kind of the quarterback for um, organizing, you know, the yearly training plan of those athletes and, and bringing in the resources to help your team, help those individuals. So getting some expertise in, in like, YTP planning and the stuff that, the, you know, the strength and conditioning is huge and looking at who you're using for paramedical, you know, who's your nutrition specialist. So those things take expertise in planning too and communication and how that flow looks
4: I think I think developing your education is, is really important because certification like I you know yeah how many how many training certifications do you have Chris I've got none he's got none does anybody doubt that he's an awesome coach right like he's 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 done his work he's studied and and you you sit down and talk to him for a half hour and you're like whoa that I'm gonna open up my checkbook, right? And that's, that's what you need to be able to do because the, the certifications are, uh, you know, like we, we could all go online with, and by the end of this discussion, we could all have a new personal training certification, right? There, there are a wide variety of certifications out there, but really I found many of the certifications I've been through were less difficult than getting CPR certified. And, and that tells me nothing like it's a, it's a number and a name and and some letters behind your name. And so what you always want to do is continue to educate yourself. And I know there's a lot of coaches in here that have got certifications of of varying degrees, but one of the things that happens, and I'm, I'm sure that you coaches will agree with me. is you get done with the certification and you're like, what did I really get out of that? And some of them, it's, it's a big goose egg. And it's something you had to do for work. And some of them are are fabulous, but we don't have that yet in climbing. You know, like a certification that also makes you feel like you got the education. Because I went through and I got my first personal training certification. I was like, oh crap, I'm a certified trainer now and I still don't know what to do. Like, you know, I, I know, you know, how how the you know, muscle physiology works and I know how this works and that and all these pieces, but until you put it together and until you continue to connect the dots with all the books that you read. And you know, you were recommended probably close to twenty-five books this weekend. And once you're done with all of those this month, you have gotta go to <laughs> another twenty-five. And you go to another seminar and then you get on on um Email with each other, and that's how we how we become these better coaches. Because nobody's going to do it for you. If you think that our our climbing governing body is all of a sudden going to get great at coaching um, education, it's not going to happen. Like you guys are the ones that are going to make that happen, or we are. You know, this the group in this room. And so that's the thing is like get get educated, and no there no amount of uh, of certification is going to is going to Um, supersede what you learn on your own and and create for yourself.
7: Caleb Stripes. Uh, This is for Tyler. Um, That first lecture you gave on Friday uh, about muscle physiology, I thought was great and very fascinating. But the information also went really fast and I don't feel that I had a, uh, a base knowledge to really get as much out of that as I wanted. So... Do you have a book you can recommend where I can dive into that deeper and at my own pace and kind of like really absorb it? Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, there's uh,
5: lots of good books. There's a decent amount of that material in the manual. Like there's an exercise physiology section that goes through the energy systems, that goes through the muscle fiber types, that goes through the twitch types, goes through the characteristics of a twitch response. So that's like a good place to start to get the absolute basics and then um tons of books out there on you know exercise physiology that would probably bore the tears out of you unless you're way into that kind of stuff so that's probably a really good place to start if you're looking for rock climbing specific stuff i think the anderson brothers book does a pretty good job at like explaining the energy systems for rock climbing like and then they have some good pictures as well so those are two pla- good places to start and yeah that stuff is complicated to you know address cuz that that's one of the you know things that I have trouble with with this presentation Is there's such a wide range of knowledge in here. So it's kind of how do we cater it to everyone's needs? So this time I tried to cut it as as short as we could and fit as much as we can in that short period of time. So sorry if, if that I do
3: talk fast. Yeah, and we so know
0: I, that Tyler is the smartest guy in the room and he talks really fast. So we put a lot of it in the manual. <laughs>
7: uh, Taylor Reed. Um, uh, a lot of my uh, the, uh, the workouts I guess I, I don't, I'm not sure I really call it programming but a lot of the workouts I end up uh, recommending are, are, are pretty much every day they're highly skill based um, and um, I'm kind of curious about the comments Steve made but I'd love to get every uh, anybody else's opinion um, regarding many of these uh, these uh, these um, can can be essentially very low impact but then a number of them can go into more of the power slash strength um area but then on top of that you're looking at say you know um throwing in actual uh, actual training of some sort in um using another energy system and so there was a comment you made the other day regarding i can't remember if it was friday or yesterday um regarding energy systems um and uh and um trying to maintain one on a given day and but it's okay to go into a second one but uh, as long as that second one is a little bit less can you speak a little bit more about that Um, and about how to uh, about how to approach that right
4: so we know we all understand that skills degrade under fatigue and acquisition of skills degrade under fatigue you've tried to study right before bed and it doesn't work very well, right? We don't pay really close attention. And that's why we don't do one more lecture after dinner, you know, on these on these weekends, right? Because you guys are going to come in and be drinking beer and be like, I, you know, I didn't understand a thing. And it's why we let so, Tyler go first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, but so when we're, when we're training those skills, and especially if it's a strength-involved skill, you know, like, uh, like go-agains or something like that, you know, you're you're taxing those muscles as well as this the ability of the body. Um, I would say you want to you want to separate out the the skills as much as you need to in order to have fresh, um, you know, a really good go each time. And if you think of like um, field. Uh, sports like hammer, throw and discus and things like that. Very often it's you know five to six minutes between throws. And so they'll they those those taxing skills we need to separate out and consider those like, Part of your strength and power stuff and then on it on the same day as that if you were going to do it i would do something that's that's the opposite side of that and and go like okay i know this athlete still needs to work on strength endurance and things like that but then we we start worrying about their ability to recover and so i would say let's go into um some easy footwork drills like we can go put them on the auto belay and work on high stepping um for for 15 to 20 minutes on on a five six you know take them take them way to the other end of the spectrum, or go into something um, like working mobility, working a flexibility issue, working on something that that, that athlete very much needs, but, but isn't, um, isn't being addressed in that same skill session. Does that answer your question at all? It, it does to an extent, but
7: okay. so the problem is, is, is that it- Sorry, uh, if I do skill work, every day, Mm -hmm. then that would essentially mean I would have to, I would have to have some skill, skill days that, that didn't go into a strength or a power uh, or a power oriented session. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that I could, so that I could program power endurance or, 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 um, or and, or endurance on that, on that particular day, as yeah. opposed to being able to run, say, like it say, say heart harder skills most days, but then also be able to, 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 hit those other energy systems. Yeah. And so, and so um, I've experimented in the past with, for example, requiring say like, uh, like, like, like a two a day, you know, where I, where, where, early, earliest skill sort of like the, the, what you had with the, with the young lady on there yeah. early skill later, uh, uh, later, um, another energy system. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then, but then also, uh, uh occasionally i'd basically just say you know like i just want you to take an hour of downtime yeah um you know or something along those lines but so i guess uh, the, so i guess i mean what I'm, what I'm really looking for is sort of a recommendation is that it, if it's not optimal do you, do you do you do you still recommend it if you don't <coughs> recommend it well like how would you how would you approach the, the same problem uh, you might just vary the volume of the skill work you do you know the
4: yeah. the warm-ups that that chris prescribed the other day you know like the the contrast drill the sloth monkey um, you could say we're going to do that in the warm-up and then we're going to move on to the energy system training that we're doing and we're not going to have any more specific skill work that day. Um, and then another day you might sp- say, we're going to spend the first 45 minutes doing skills. And then just a very, very small amount of, of, you know, like say hangboarding or something. And so you might just think about varying the volume of it and understanding that if you're developing the skill regularly over the course of an entire training plan, four to six weeks, whatever it is, um, th- that athlete is going to acquire skill more on repetition than on volume in an in, in individual session. And so you can always go like, okay, we're we're done here. This is too much. Um, but it does take more of the the coaching art than than uh, than just like saying it's going to be fifteen minutes this day, thirty minutes this day. And Chris Chris will have a good answer for this too.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you said coaching art. Actually, I think this this is really a big part of that, and something that I think is important that you can add in or or make a change to is when you're working on really high level skills that are. Fairly high intensity and you know that becomes a problem with with programming any hard workouts. There are a lot of ways and you're a creative guy and can come up with ways to regress those those really intense skills and work on the the core components of them instead of taking that, you know, it doesn't have to be done on a V10. You could find a way to work the core component of that skill at a lower level. You know, and and like Steve said, vary the volume, vary the intensity, and I think that's a good way to mix it all together.
3: Anybody else out here? Uh, Daw Strickler, um, just wondering if anybody uh, would have any recommendations or advice for military climbing athletes. To balance their physical tests that they are expected to perform in with uh, high-performance climbing training competition what are the physical tests that we map those out for us so standard for the army is the army physical fitness test it's two minutes push-ups two minutes sit-ups two mile run there's additional military uh tests for occupation uh, where they could be uh, placed, uh, deadlift, beep test, medicine ball throw, long jump. Uh, and then there are specific special schools that uh, an, an officer could go into, a ranger, a seal. Uh, the qualifications for those are um, somewhat rigorous. So the, the
5: your initial question was how would we take an athlete to prepare them for those tests, or how would they work that into a climbing program while they're training for those simultaneously? Correct. The second part of the question
6: yeah. got
4: a good answer for that. Yeah, sure. And so, so that's that's the the really cool thing is that they're they're required to have a foundation of strength, right? Um, you know, we have so many people that uh, you know Charlie talked about one of his athletes that. Is is fundamentally has no structure, you know. It's like you know, if you if you build a one-story building, it can be made of of you know of straw, right? Um, but if you're going to build a skyscraper, you need to have a tr- gigantic foundation and steel structure inside it. Mm-hmm. And so, like the the army. Um, Has this ability of, uh, or this desire to have a base physical ability from all their athletes, and so I would say, on top of these these basic abilities that they're trying to to build, um, once they get to those levels, is is when you need to actually back your athletes off and say, okay, look, you're good enough to do the two minute push up test. You're 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 solid on the two mile run. Um, Let's let's defocus that as long as we can still maintain it. And then we're going to start bringing up our our sports specific stuff. Foundation first, then build the sports specific stuff on top of it. And then I would continue to test those athletes once a month. uh, Once how often do you test the physical fitness stuff?
3: The APFT is twice a year, every six months. Um, Special schools uh, once a year, depending on when they have the tryouts at Marines, Air Force, somewhat different lengths of running or pull up the marines have pull-ups um and then push-ups are pretty constant Sit ups.
4: yeah i would test them twice as often maybe once every three months and and just so they understand that they've still got those skills right um and it's like my with with my athletes if they still have the endurance to do their landmark route at the crag and then I'm like, okay, don't worry about that. You've got the endurance. Let's continue to focus on your finger strength and power. Um, if we have somebody that's just got stacks of, of, of physical ability, um, we talked about um, Brad's, Brad's uh, upper body strength. He was pressing. And like if he can go into the gym, still press that 80-pound kettlebell overhead, um, then like pff, let's not really worry about pushing that number much higher. and I would do that with your athletes and then get them, you know don't forget to tell them that the sport specific stuff of climbing is really going cross over to this other stuff. Because climbers in general come in pretty darn strong, the ones that, that haven't done any other kind of training, um, especially in you know uh, our sport movements, you know pulling and yeah, down. that
5: general strength base will last a lot A couple weeks cycle even before the test Would be adequate enough to get them prepared for the test I can't imagine they'd have any decrement in passing that exam If they've done it before and they just have to keep doing it And just program around <coughs> it Maybe, you know, drop off taper off the climbing specifics three weeks before And then ramp up their, you know, testing specific skills and energy systems And they'll have no problem
0: Yeah, I think I think if it's the test that they're worried about you know, that they have to pass this test to reach a certain level of whatever. I think we can look at almost any of the pro sports uh, that like the NFL combine, there are companies that you can pay just to perform well at the combine. You know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a reflection of your skill on the field, but that's how it's viewed. So you can, you can cheat the test essentially by doing pretty much exactly what Tyler said and they're still going to be plenty strong. We got five more minutes. Questions?
2: All right, When my name's Joe. Uh, when talking about assessments, like when you're assessing your athletes once a month, so when you're doing that like in a gym environment, it's very hard to assess saying like, all right, well, this kid, a harder grade because the grades are so subjective so is there something more quantifiable other than that you can assess other than like okay well this kid can hang on longer like i think assessment's really tricky when it comes to climbing and and i guess my question is how do you know if what you're doing is truly working right yeah or, or
4: the or the accurate well i would guess test accuracy um yeah, that, that's a good question, and and in general, you could you could look at trends in the in that athlete's performance for looking right at the grades. But yeah, I'm like, you know, you go to the right gym and your V grades go way up because they, they they grade them differently. But we can do things that are are you know, like Tyler said, we can do things that like if if they have a higher vertical jump, we know that the power is improving, right? We if they have uh, ability, we'll do. Uh, duration hangs on a 20 millimeter edge or maximum hangs on a 20 millimeter edge and then predict um from there if their finger strength has improved like a 10 second hang you know single single second hanging you know or one one rm hanging is is not a good idea um but yeah 10 second hang are they getting better um and we we look at those numbers and those are the pieces and then performance is always you know you've always got to be working those skills but i would say Coming up with with some kind of combine type thing, like let's see um, if you're looking at capacity, uh, total V grades in 40 minutes would be a, a good a good test for a, a group of kids because it's interesting and fun. Um, you could also look over time, just look at their logs and have them log on sites. Uh, on sites usually your on site ability usually follows your red point ability on on bouldering, and so if you're all of a sudden Able to on-site V12, or excuse me, uh, Red Redpoint or send V12. Your on-sites are also going to be coming up. Like if you, you, maybe your on-site is V9 and it keeps scooting up. And so if you have a good logging, you should be able to see those trends going up. Um, and and because projecting is always really hard to test, you know limit bouldering like how do we quantify what happened in a limit bouldering session and so I think coming up with a few really carefully designed tests for that would be good and Tyler will be able to speak to this a little more than I can.
5: Yeah I do the exact same thing for our athletes locally I test them every three weeks and they'll come and they'll do max finger vertical pull max bar vertical pull low pin pull and then a mid thigh pin pull isometric just as a measure and it really keeps them motivated because even in a three week period neurologically you'll adapt in three sessions you know and you're you'll see your numbers go up and that's really helpful for a coach to justify why their athlete's paying them and then you can also look at the log. I think looking at the log is genius. And then you can – you'll probably notice things that they won't, right? People are always going to look for the bad things about how they're performing and how they're functioning, whereas a coach, it's your job to point out the things that are really, you know, being that they're being successful at and they're learning and they're growing at. But the testing, I think, is – I mean, and that's why it's so important to set that baseline because if you don't set the baseline, you have no idea. And it's too hard to track performance. You know, I can barely remember what we had two nights ago for dinner, right? Athletes can't really remember – Things that they did in the past and how successful they were, unless they keep track of it and unless we know where their baseline started. So yeah, I think the testing is is really important. One of the we're gonna I'm gonna try and expand for this next manual uh, the testing section and maybe come up with some sort of uh, ebook where we can, you know, I can really narrow down all these ideas so I don't have to speak you know twice as fast next time.
0: Yeah, and uh, assessments are something we've struggled with for sure. Um, Just trying to find the efficacy. Of them exactly for the reason you described because V grades are all over the place and um, just specifically for the endurance side of things be it more like aerobic power type endurance or long term local endurance we really like the campus board just because it's more standardized and using feet I know Tyler does something similar I know Steve has as well Um, just laddering on a standard campus board with your feet on is a really great way to get a a solid number that you can then retest on the same campus board months later or if they're you know online client or remote somewhere it's it's a pretty standardized setup so i think that's a good way a good tool to use
6: i was i was just going to say and um to piggyback off of Steve, I work with a ton of youth climbers and, and it's hard to get away from the grades because that's what they're always looking at. It's staring them in the face. Um, and I, I think it's a, uh, a conversation that happens early in the season, reminding the athletes that um, just because you can climb one V5 or you climbed a V5 in the gym doesn't make you a V5 climber. Um, and so if that athlete or I have youth climbers who have climbed a V5 and can't climb all the V3s in the gym – um, we're obviously seeing that maybe that 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 problem was maybe their style or it was soft or whatever, and so trying to get them to think about being stronger in those kind of mid range or you know two three grades below that max. Um, seeing seeing that number go up, like the average V grade in like their density circuits or something like that, um, can show that improvements improvement as well. And and I haven't really come up with a good system on it, but like you know have them know what styles they're good at or what holds they're good at and you know say they climbed a v7 or a 5 or whatever that was uh, a whole type that they weren't really good at or a wall angle that they know they're not very good at you can see improvement that way as well i i know it's super hard and it's hard to to get the kids to not chase those numbers but yeah having I, i've seen it with my youth climbers like having them send the v4 or the v3 that is on a wall angle that's really hard for them um, in some ways is you, you can see it in their face is actually even cooler than climbing the V6 or V7, not yeah. always. Yeah,
2: I, I like how you're saying about, you know, getting a general idea of the problems as a whole. I'll, one of the things our group looked at as far as an assessment tool, we were thinking of the one example you gave where the, the one climber wanted to integrate the moon board. It's something standardized. They can continue to go back to the same problems, and they can track their assessment on that if your gym has that tool. Yeah. So it's kind <clears> of... <throat>
0: Yeah, I think those standardized walls and and spray walls in general that you can come back to over time are, are a really great tool to have. And, and you're right. It's great as an assessment tool. So, Neely? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like at cats um, in Boulder, it's yep. a spray wall and those problems have been up for years. Yeah, totally. Okay, I think that is all the time we've got. So thank you guys a ton for... For all the great questions and for letting me stick microphones in your faces and put you on the internet, we we really appreciate it. All right, like I mentioned before, our next performance climbing coach seminar happens October tenth through the twelfth at minneapolis bouldering project in minneapolis minnesota hopefully i see a bunch of you out there um, you can register at the link either in the show notes on the blog page or right there on the show notes in your pocket supercomputer and um, like i said i've got a 100 hundred dollar off code for you it's chris 100 that's capital k capital r capital i capital s and the numbers one zero zero Use that code, save yourself some money so that you can buy me a beer when you're there. All right, see you guys there. In the meantime, you know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Instagrams, on the Facebooks, and the Pinterests, at Power Company Climbing. And you can look for us all day on the Twitters. You will not find us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.
2: This time, 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 this time, this,